Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDI Wives is a bonus episode hosted by Kylie Caldwell. These episodes focus in on the fastest growing demographic of the dog world and hunting industry in general, women. Kylie is having fun and relatable conversations with other women who have trained and hunted their own dogs and what it was like getting started. These women live the life and prove every day that they don't hunt or train dogs just because of their boyfriends or husbands. They don't do it because they're hunters' wives. They do it because they love it and married to the sport lifestyle and most importantly their dogs we get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition it's pretty obvious when you think about it though it doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel the saying garbage in garbage out rings true in dog nutrition Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Alrighty, good evening everybody. This is Kylie Caldwell and I am with GDI Wives and today we are joined with one of my friends who I met at the Invitational, NAVDA Invitational a few years ago. Her name is Miss Desiree. Hey, Desiree, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Um, Thanks for coming on this podcast. And um, first, if you want to let our listeners just give a little bit of background about um, yourself and what kind of dogs do you have? Sure. So my name is Desiree Stormont, and I currently live in Omaha, Nebraska, and I've got three dogs. I've got a seven-year-old German short-haired pointer named Hazel. I've got a four-year-old wire-haired pointing Griffon named Rupert, also known as Rupee Doopy. And uh, also, we just (laughs) brought home a new little puppy. Uh, She is an 11-week-old German short hair, and we named her Siggy. So three dogs, and and we're in the midst of of puppyhood right now. So... Awesome. Well, how did you, I saw on Facebook, because I follow you on there, how did you come up with her name? So um, I kind of struggled, and I always do struggle to find names for puppies. Ironically, I think our puppies stay with the name Puppy or Nugget uh, for the first few days that we have them. And I just, I was kind of going through and trying to find different names on different apps that were unique, and I came across uh, Sigrid or Siggy. And then did some research on where that name came from, and she actually, uh, the name Sigrid comes from 
this Norse queen, um, like a Viking queen, and uh, she was very powerful and thought herself to be very beautiful. And so the full name for Siggy is Honor Point Sigrid the Haughty, and that was the queen's name. And if you look at Siggy, she definitely runs around like she knows she's a very pretty girl. So we thought that it was a pretty uh, fitting name, and it's it's different than our other two dogs too, which is always helpful when you're trying to herd three of them and, and get them to go where you want them to go. You say corralling, corralling the cats, as they say, or herding the cats, um, trying to figure out where yep. they're going. <laughs> That's a pretty um, fantastic name and, you know, description. And I know for me, I had the same experience when I brought Sassy home almost eight years ago. She was nameless for the first two weeks. It was pup, 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 or you know, like you said, nugget or some type of endearing word for her before I came up with the name. And um, it's it's hard because a lot of these people, uh, breeders, obviously, you're going to have um, your kennel name in there. But then I don't know if it's in just Navajo world or bird dog world or wherever, but you hear all these crazy long names, like these almost like song titles, and you have to have a good one, I feel like. So that is pretty fantastic, I will say. A um, little bit jealous. I like yeah. that name. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks. Yeah, it definitely, uh, especially I know with like Honor Point Kennels, some of the dogs that Charles and Annie have have some pretty cool names. So we didn't want to have a lame name added added to their kennel list. So we had to come up with something good and, and we were pretty happy with it. I think I think she fits the name well. So <laughs> Awesome. So you have different breeds. What made you choose your different breeds and if you want to kind of explain each of them and and how you came across them and how you picked them. Yeah, so um, our first dog uh, was Hazel, a German short-haired pointer. Like I said, she's seven now. Um, And ironically, I worked at a doggy daycare for a little while. I have a background in doing some obedience training and one of my good friends had this gorgeous short hair, right? And so I had fallen in love with him. His name was Romeo and that's kind of what pushed me to want a short hair. Um, I knew a lot of energy. I kind of wanted a running buddy, uh, all those things. I had never bird hunted before, um, but my intention with her was to kind of get into that realm. Uh, My husband had a lab growing up and had done some upland hunting and it was just something that I was kind of interested in. I love the idea of dogs that have jobs, right? Dogs that are uh, bred for a specific task and then I'm I'm very interested in, in making sure they get to do that task. So um, I thought I did a ton of research on her. It was my first purebred dog I'd ever bought. Um, we kind of joke she's my bargain bin short hair. Um, she <laughs> came to me, you know, out of kind of a no-name kennel, not NAVDA related, not really hunting titles, anything like that. Um, and she has a lot of drive and um, I definitely had my hands full with her. So I, I kind of joke, thank God I found NAVDA because I'm not sure what our relationship would be like if, if we hadn't found NAVDA and, and really been able to kind of harness her into the job that she loves to do. Um, that being said, you know, after kind of going through, we had her for about three years and then right before we got Rupert, um, I had la- lost my lab, Golden, who is a therapy dog, not not a not a hunting dog at all. <laughs> and um, I got hooked up with Navda because of Hazel. And so um, I was part of the North Central Wisconsin chapter. And there's a lot of uh, griffs in that chapter. I'd never met a griff, never seen a griff, never heard of a griff before. Um, and um, actually Rupert's breeder, Jamie Kuhn, who owns Aspen Glow Kennels, which is where Rupert's out of, did a ton to help me, you know, at the beginning, get Hazel ready for her natural ability test and getting her into utility and all of that. And I got to spend a lot of time with his dogs. I also got to spend a lot of time with um, Gary Ingebrigtsen's dogs out of Firebird Kennels. And I just really fell in love with I think a little bit more of their on and off switch, right? So they they had a little bit more of an ability to kind of turn it on and turn it off. And my short hair, you know, she's sleeping or she's moving. Those are kind of her two speeds. And um, because of that, yeah, I ended up picking a a wire-haired pointing griffon, and I really wanted a duck dog. And so that was, he kind of fit the bill for all of those things where he'd fit well in our house, maybe a little bit less 
um, you know, of that constant energy and he would be good in the duck blind. And that's kind of why we went that direction with him. So, um, gotcha. and then I like now we're back you, with another short hair. I like how you <laughs> explain the energy. That's a very nice way of putting it. So <laughs> listeners won't get too scared yeah. of the, of the German short hair, but no, I mean, you, you were looking for something that you wanted specifically and where you live and now live, it's pretty cold compared to, you know, here and our short hairs are able to, to go out there and duck hunt. But sometimes, yeah, you're breaking ice and, um, they're kind of like, oh man, it, it's cold cause they're fur. So you, you got that, um, specifically for that and, and the, the switch, like you said, the on and off and being able to just kind of chill out. And, um, what I guess now that you have the short hair that's older and, and your griff, like, what do you think the biggest differences in training? Obviously, there's going to be a lot, but, like, if there's any, like, a couple things that you could maybe tell our listeners, like, what the biggest differences you think with training them or just when it comes to maintenance, obviously the hair and the fur, but what do you think are some of the biggest differences between the two? And you can talk about just your two. Um, you don't have to necessarily be, like, breed-specific, but. Yeah, so I think – in training, you know, both of those dogs, um, I would definitely say, and maybe it might just be my short hair in particular, but uh, she definitely needs to do it her way, right? We have to find a way to train her to help her feel like we're doing what she wants to do, not necessarily what I um, am asking her to do. Um, and I think with my Griff, he he has a little bit more of that, what's next? What are we going to do? What should I do, mom, uh, kind of personality. And so there's just a little bit more um, of his, I think, desire to work for me specifically that's not necessarily overridden by drive, right? He's definitely a very drivey dog. Don't get me wrong. He he runs out there with my short hair. He will go crazy for ducks. He loves, you know, go, go, go. But um, I think... I mean, a good example that I could give you is the way that I woe trained both of them was very different. For my short hair, the collar did not work. Putting her on a barrel and overlaying a collar just did not communicate to her what I needed her to do. But popping pigeons for her and her figuring out, hey, I'm not getting any birds, this really sucks, it steadied her so much faster versus for my griff, right, he definitely um, kind of did well with our woe barrel training and overlaying the collar and kind of woe breaking him that way. So I think that's a really good example of kind of the difference between the two of them. I would say for Hazel, birds are life, right? And so any way that I can use the bird to teach her what I want her to do is going to be more successful than just kind of trying to do the obedience end of it. So those are probably the two biggest differences um, in terms of training them. And then obviously, like you said, yeah, coat maintenance is a, a little bit different. Different. We we definitely have to to keep up on the Griff's coat and strip him and and all that. He's a pretty tight coated Griff though, and and I definitely looked for that when I was picking out what kind of Griff I wanted because he tends to maybe not pick up quite as many burrs as uh, some of the other more maybe woolier coated Griffs um, that you might run into out there. So yeah, no, I remember when we talked before we did the podcast. I was like, at first, I'm like, is it a Griff? or poodle pointer I couldn't tell by the photos and then when you told me I was like oh my gosh okay awesome because I was telling you all our griffs that come here for training we've had a couple like the coat you describe of your Rupert but they're mostly like I like I talk about woolly mammoths and our trainers are be having to become um groomers after they're out training and stuff to get all the burrs and just all the crap and especially now this time of year doing duck search with all that little the green seeds, I don't know what the heck it's called, but it is so gross and they just get, it's everywhere in their, in their coat and it gets in their eyes and then, yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting It's definitely, for sure. definitely a process. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know definitely if you'll a process. find um, this to be true, but a lot of the griffs that we have trained, and I've heard this from other people, but I don't know, I want to get your take on it and see if it kind of pertains to Mr. Rupert, but we have been told by many people that own griffs um, that when you're training them, if it's not their idea, it's like kind of null and void, like it's out the window. So do you find that terrain true or what do you think about that? 
So I don't know that I would say that I've come across that in like watching my Griff, you know, and training with him or like I said, I, I know quite a few people up in North Central Wisconsin through NAVDA that have Griffs. I would honestly say I think that's more like the way that my short hair's personality is. I think that Griffs can get bored, right? So I've yes. seen it happen and, and right now I'm trading for the invitational. So I think that's maybe where some of that, if it's not their idea, they're not going to do it comes from. Um, because if you don't keep them entertained, then you're going to run into problems, um, you know, as far as. They're going to start blinking things or balking on what you're sending them on. They don't, they're not machines, I guess, in the same way that some of the other breeds that maybe are super high drive and just want to go, go, go and do it and do it and do it. Not saying that they're not drivey, but they just, I think they want to have fun doing what they're doing and too many repetitions of something can kind of burn them out. Um, yeah. But I, I would say that that's probably been my experience, um, at least, especially with Rupert, on how I have to be careful to not kind of pound it in his head and, and keep the session short and keep him fun and, and mix it up for him. No, I think that's good. I Now that you say that, it does ring true because um, we did train. a My husband trained and I trained. Um, he ran her in the Invitational at Griffon and um, – yeah, it definitely was a process, but she, I mean, she was with us for almost seven months, and she was our family. She became part of the family, and like you said, like, they get bored quickly, so making training sessions short and, and successful, I think, was key for her, um, mm-hmm. but I think that's a better way to put yeah. it. Like, a lot of people that I hear from, I'm kind of like, well, when I think about it, too, the same thing with my short hair, Sassy, comes to comes to mind, like, but... I don't know. Um, I just, I, I always hear it from people and I'm like, I wonder if this is true. Let me ask Desiree. She actually owns a, <laughs> a Griff and has had experience with, with that. So um, let's talk a little yeah. bit about, so you had got the bird dogs um, and you mentioned that you wanted to, you know, use them for what they were bred for, which I think is awesome. Cause a lot of people that we sell dogs to um, being breeders, it's kind of sometimes hard decision to make because we want all these dogs obviously to go to a hunting home but a lot of people want a short hair they're beautiful dogs they've gotten really popular and um so you're you're doing what the dogs were bred to do did you grow up hunting like what kind of sparked your interest I know working um doing the obedience stuff but did you grow up hunting talk a little bit about that for us yeah, so no. I think that I had kind of the opposite upbringing. Um, my parents are both like city dwellers, right? They're both from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, lived in the big city their whole lives, never hunted. I don't think my mom has touched a gun. Um, and uh, I we moved when I was in second grade to a small town in Wisconsin of about a thousand people. And so like I guess I would say my first exposures to hunting were probably I'm just kind of going up with one of my good best friends with her parents going up to deer camp and we would sit at the camper and like read books and have campfires like we weren't hunting we weren't going out hunting we weren't doing anything in relation to that it was just like oh cool let's go camping in the fall um my parents probably I I don't know I always joke and I say probably the closest uh way or best way to describe um, their experience with the outdoors is like my mom probably thinks mom and dad probably think that motel six is about the same as tent camping for everyone right that like <laughs> they're not they're not sleeping outside they're not going hunting they're not going hiking none of that and so um you know I had some exposure just because when you live in a small rural town in Wisconsin people hunt right and sure. I mean I'd sat in a deer stand when I was in high school I never like shot anything I never had a hunting license none of those things um I shot my first deer when I was 24 years old I took hunter safety when I was in my like early 20s after um I had graduated from college and I really got into it because of the dog I I know that's like I think for my generation kind of a a common theme right that a lot of people are starting to get into hunting because of the dog and and honestly I I graduated from law school and I got a bird dog and a shotgun and that was my you know (laughs) graduation present to myself so my first gun and my first bird dog and I kind of figured it out from there and 
I have grown to fall in love with upland hunting and duck hunting and, you know, just watching the dogs work. So, no, I definitely did not have a hunting background. And and my parents are, I think, probably kind of confused about how they have a daughter (laughs) who owns a couple of shotguns and some bird dogs and spends her vacation time running around in the cattails. But (laughs) I know that's funny. Like you say that a lot of the women so far that I've talked to, some of them have you know, have that exposure. And same with me. Like I was around it. My dad was a duck hunter. He was a deer hunter and we had labs. Um, he had labs growing up and, um, I just was more into like school and and sports at that time. And I was like, this is kind of stupid. Like you, like you said, you know, you're going camping or whatever (laughs) outside of the fires. Like that's what I kind of attribute my experiences to too. But the whole reason that I've gotten into it was because of a dog. And I think most, all my guests so far and continue to be really um, is because of a dog. And I just think that's the most like awesomest thing, which I don't know, that's not really phonetically correct, but it's just so cool that, you know, these people are getting these dogs, these ladies, they're starting to train them. They're, they're hunting with them and they're doing what the dogs were bred and born to do and love to do. So I think it's amazing and really awesome. Um, so Absolutely. with, with that, so where, I guess, and what have you found to be really fun, like, hunting? Have you got to go many trips? What species have you gotten? Yeah, so um, this year in particular, I hunted in five different states, or in 2020, I should say. I hunted in five different states with my dogs. Um, I hunted upland and I hunted ducks. I did my first snow goose hunt this year um, with my griff, which was pretty exciting. That was on my bucket list of things uh, to do with him. And um, I would say, you know, when we just had hazel, we hunted in Wisconsin. So that was predominantly, you know, rough grouse and um, trouncing through the woods and trying to find woodcock and doing all that. And it's definitely been a blessing to have moved to Nebraska where upland hunting is a much Uh, more prevalent and I have access to a lot of public land. Um, I hunt kind of Nebraska and Iowa mostly um, because it's, you know, within driving distance being on kind of the border. But we went to Kansas and Missouri and also Minnesota this year. Um, I've been on some trips. I am super lucky to have some really great NAVDA friends who have, uh, you know, allowed me to join them on their boys hunting trip, you know, even though a girl had (laughs) never been invited before. And, and so that was a super fun trip um, to North Dakota that I got to take for a week with them and experience, you know, what that is to, to be at hunt camp for a week and what it's like for the dogs and what it's like for you to, you know, try and keep up and, you know, hunt all day and chase birds and, and all that. So, I, I would say that I've been able to really have some really fun experiences. My husband is is really pretty great about, um, he never says no when I say I want to go on a trip or, you know, join another group, even if he can't go, because he's pretty busy with residency um, and doesn't have a ton of time. So I get to do way more hunting than he does, but I, I've had a lot of fun and, and gone on a lot of trips with the dogs so far. That sounds like so much fun. I wish so where we live, obviously it's, it's quite a hike to get to those places. And, um, last year we were actually scheduled to go to Iowa and unfortunately we had a dog that needed surgery and a dog that got hurt, um, that almost needed surgery. So, um, unfortunately we had to postpone, um, those trips, but looking forward, we're going to Maine this year where I'm from and, We've got a whole week planned. Um, supposed to go out to North Dakota, but not sure with my with my graduation and my husband's um, job and work commitment. Hopefully, we can make it work um, with timing and stuff. It it's it seems to be hard to to coordinate both of our schedules, like you said. It 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 becomes challenging, but um, it sounds like yeah, you've been tearing it up. That's, so. that's- yeah, no, that's good. Well, hopefully you can get out there. But no, I, I kind of, I understand schedules and, and all of that. And yeah, it, it definitely, I've gotten lucky um, with the job that I have and kind of being able to, to sneak out and go on some of these trips that I, I've gotten to go on. Like I said, I think my NAVDA friends have, 
have really uh, been huge and instrumental in, in getting me on some of these really fun trips that I probably wouldn't wouldn't have known about or known where to go or, sure. you know, even thought to experience. So that's been pretty cool. Awesome. So with that, we talk a lot about NAVDA. Um, Nick does with his um, podcast and guests, and I have with most of the guests that I've had. They are all members either of Tar Heel or one of the North Carolina chapters so far. Um, so what kind of got you into NAVDA? Um, was there a specific person once you had, um, Hazel, like Hannah, how did that, um, start? And then we'll talk a little bit more about how you've started becoming a judge this year and, and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So my first NAVDA experience can be best described as being out of necessity, So I had gotten Hazel when I graduated from law school. I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a pretty, you know, it's it's not rural. It's it's a city. And I had this baby bird dog who was too much dog for me. Um, And most of my NAVDA friends who joke about that first NAVDA meeting I went to would definitely agree. Um, And we moved uh, probably about five months into when I had gotten her to north central Wisconsin, kind of near the the Marshfield area where that north central Wisconsin NAVDA chapter is. And honestly, like I was at my wits end with this dog. She was bitey. She was growly. She didn't have a purpose. We were struggling. I think you and I, I, I told you the joke that I have that she's like my 16 year old daughter who doesn't understand why I won't let her get a neck tattoo and sleep over at her boyfriend's house. And we have the same argument over and over. Right. And so we were having that argument a lot. And I had done some good Googling and was trying to figure out how I could find somebody to help me train this bird dog. And I kind of was just like throwing a Hail Mary at maybe if I can get her on birds, because I don't know how to do this, that someone, you know, will be able to help me and and we can turn a corner on, on our relationship, so to speak. And so I found the North Central Wisconsin NAVDA chapter. I showed up to their first training day had a dog dragging me through the parking lot, uh, put her in the field for the first time, and literally she spent her entire field search running around the group of people who were walking with us barking at them. And, uh, yeah, that was my first NAVDA experience. All those guys, like Jamie and um, Gary and those guys, definitely, when we talk about it now, they joke, they're like, when you left, we thought we're never seeing her again. Like, yeah, she's she, never coming back. She won't, she won't be so, back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but jokes on them because I knew that I needed help with her and I knew that I had gotten a very high-driven dog and I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I think um, just the help that they were willing to give me so long as I was willing to put in the work really, really motivated me to stay. And I think that's one of the the big things with NAVDA, right? Is that it's not just, hey, we'll train your dog for you. It's no, here's what we're going to do to help you. And in between sessions, this is what we want you to do. And I think that chapter in particular does a really good job of, um, you know, giving people homework, so to speak. And and the members are definitely willing to invest their time and energy and, and help you when you have questions if you're willing to put the work in. And so um, I got hooked on on NAVDA pretty quickly. Again, partly out of necessity, but then after after I got in and met everyone, it was it was really kind of a love affair with NAVDA from that point forward. Um, I ran yeah. my first test with Hazel probably two and a half months after we joined NAVDA, and um, it was it was kind of a whirlwind, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Like a lot of I hear like oh, we we're big on it here at our chapter and in the North Carolina chapters saying like, you can't train your dog once a month, come to training days and expect, you know, these fantastic results. Well, maybe you can on some of the dogs, but you know, typically you're, (laughs) you have to put the time and effort. Like you said, homework, you got to go home and do this stuff. You can't expect to show up, like I said, once a month and, and have, you know, high quality. I mean, unless you're doing stuff, like you said, in between. And um, fortunately here with our weather, even though it is pretty hot in the summer, we we have training days all year long. I know most chapters only train um, certain times of year, just given weather with with temperatures and stuff. But we have training days all year long. And if if we're not training, we either have a test or fundraiser. So we are lucky in that sense. But I think the big thing that people don't really realize is that, you know, you do have to put the time in 
um, throughout the month and, and then come back and at that month training, you know, have the expertise of trainers, breeders, people helping guide you, but you got to do, you got to put the time in yourself too. So I think that's really important that you stated that. Um, it just, it goes Absolutely. a long way for the dog. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, yep. it's not beneficial for you to show up and expect, you know, you put birds out there and you haven't, dog hasn't been on birds for however many months and expect it to be a rock star. Like maybe some dogs will get away with that, but most won't. So I think that's important. Right. Um, what kind of tipped you into becoming, wanting to do the apprentice program and becoming a judge? Where in like time frame, like how long had you been involved in that chapter and what kind of flipped the switch for you to do that? Sure. So uh, I first joined North Central Wisconsin chapter um, and that was what six years ago, I think. Hazel was like six or seven months old, I want to say, at the time that I joined that chapter. Um, and you know, we did our natural ability test and the next year we started grinding towards utility and, um, I just really love the NAVDA system, right? I love the NAVDA testing system and, and I can't say it's because I'm good at it because my short hair and I have run <laughs> six utility tests together and she is like, we talked about my forever prize too. She's a, a prize one dog who just can't quite put it together on, on game day. Right. Or she likes to, to mess with me. And so, um, I spent a lot of time, you know, talking to other judges and I spent a lot of time training. We have a lot of judges up at North central Wisconsin chapter who also help, at training days and, you know, give you their perspective. And, and I think going through that process, um, and going through having run a bunch of those utility tests really kind of sparked my interest in the way that the scoring system works and the way that we look at and evaluate dogs. And it was really, you know, I, I think, let's see, I had been apprenticing for two years. This is my first year as a judge, so we had moved up to Nebraska, and probably about a year after we moved to Nebraska, because we've been up here for four years now, um, some of the, the judges that I had been around, that I had trained with, that had seen me run dogs and, you know, saw me at training days, started asking me, you know, are you going to join the apprentice program? You should become a NAVDA judge. And I honestly, at that point, was like, no chance. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how to train dogs. I, I don't know how to evaluate dogs. I don't know any, I don't know enough, right? I right. definitely thought, no, this, you know, I'm not ready. Um, but after talking to to some of the other judges, like Cheryl Tepp um, was one of the uh, kind of influencers. She's up from North Central Wisconsin. And Chris Hill, who's our chapter president here at the um, Heartland chapter in Brainerd, Nebraska, they really kind of pushed me to say, hey, we think you've got a good eye for dogs. You know, you're, you, you know what you're talking about, even though you don't think so. Why don't you try the apprentice program? They both wrote me letters um, of recommendation. And so it was through their prompting um, that I, that I went through the program. And um, I definitely am very thankful that they pushed me to do it. I really enjoy judging. Um, I really enjoyed the apprentice program. And honestly, it's made me a way better handler, um, probably first and foremost, because I understand the rules of the game, you know, a little bit better. And, and I get a chance when I'm out apprenticing or I'm out judging to kind of see what scenarios go well and what scenarios maybe don't go so well and handling and, and things like that. And I don't know, it's just also been really fun to see some really awesome dogs from different dog breeds and that, you know, maybe I don't get exposed to a ton or that, you know, I don't know a ton about. Um, it, it's just been a really great experience. And I think the camaraderie of, of test weekends and traveling to different chapters and, and meeting more NAVDA people kind of all around has just been a really, really great experience. And like I said, I'm really grateful that those ladies uh, pushed me <laughs> in that direction because I probably would have, you know, kind of dragged my feet and said, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. But it, the apprentice program definitely does a good job of getting you ready. Um, that, that's to, to awesome that you judge. Yeah, that you had the people, like you said, kind of pushing you along. If if you hadn't have had that, you know, would you have gone through with it? Maybe not, maybe. But having that little guidance and push um, definitely, I'm sure, helped you in the long run. What? Um, so 
how many have you gotten to judge now and how many tests have you judged so far and you know where have you traveled um, for those assignments yeah so this year's been a little bit trickier for me I'm trying to be a little bit protective of my time just because I've got Rupert going to the invitational this year and it's my first dog that I have qualified so I want to make sure I have the time to spend training him um, so I've really only focused on um, local chapters so I'm a chapter member at both North Central Wisconsin which is about eight hours from me here and then also the Brainerd Nebraska chapter and the secretary at that chapter I do test secretary duties for both of them and um, so I judged a Wisconsin test in, in June, and that was a lot of fun. And then uh, the May test up in uh, Heartland, I am kind of slotted to kind of potentially fill in later this uh, summer if I need to at those chapters. And then I'm headed to Missouri Uplands chapter the weekend after the Invitational. Um, that's one of my favorite uh, places to to judge. I, I apprenticed there two years in a row, and I, I love that chapter, love that group. And so I'm looking forward to kind of traveling to Missouri to spend some time with them. They've got great grounds, and, and everybody there is really awesome. So those are really probably the three for sure that I'll do this year. And next year, I'll have a little bit more time to say yes to, to some others, some, uh, to some other chapters, yeah. and hopefully travel. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I will keep you in mind I'm not I used to be our test secretary I'm not anymore but I will um pass the information along so maybe one day you you can come down to our chapter and experience well who knows the weather sometimes is crazy um it could be raining it could be really hot who knows but um we will keep you in mind for that um with that what, absolutely like, I'd love to come out <laughs> yeah it would it would be really cool Our, we have a pretty big chapter and a lot of females in it so um it's it's definitely a good time with COVID we kind of changed a little bit of our ways here just because you know we usually do a big lunch and and dinner and stuff and we weren't able to really do that and that's kind of what our chapter is known for that hospitality and and the food so the southern the southern barbecue if you will um yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what was it like when you were, okay, you, you did the apprentice program, you were selected and approved to become a judge. What was your first, um, test, like being a judge and you weren't being evaluated like by your stuff? Like, what was that like? It's kind of a, it it was an interesting experience. Uh, it was nice for me that I was at a home chapter, right? Like I knew my senior judge pretty well and then the other judge that we were judging with and, I think, you know, honestly, you kind of are still in that mindset, especially, you know, the first day on Saturday, that mindset of being like, okay, make sure you have your notes on the cards and make sure you read through your instructions that you're giving. And I I did all the same sort of I guess, pre-gaming that I did when I was apprenticing, kind of under the same expectation that they're, they're paying attention, right? Even though there's no formal evaluation, you don't want to, you don't want to come out of the gates and and have the team that you're judging with be like, what the heck, how did she make it out of the apprentice program? (laughs) So I think I was still pretty, you know, pretty nervous and and just making sure that I, I knew my stuff. And like I said, reading through the Ames book and, and having the rules and, and everything in my mind, um, you know, Sunday was a little easier than Saturday for me. You kind of fall into the routine and realize, oh, just kidding. Like, no one's no one's making me read my scores first every time. And no one's asking me what the rule for this is and how many yards this has to be and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think if you still looked at my scorecards and the notes that I take, they're probably still pretty consistent with the way that they looked when I was apprenticing. Um, just because, you know, that's you get into that groove. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the dogs and the handlers a service and not a disservice, right? I want to make sure that I'm still on top of my game because it's a big deal to bring your dog out and and put your dog out there, right? Put your neck out there, so to speak, and, and show us what your dog can do. And, you know, we all understand because the judges run dogs as well. And I know I've been in the spot of, you know, maybe having a dog not do what you are expecting them to do on the day of a test. So I always want to make sure that I'm I'm there and I'm ready and I'm prepared and, and ready to evaluate the dogs to the best that I can um, so that I'm we're giving them a fair shake. And, you know, 
it's we only get to see your dog one day, right? The senior judges always talk about how we only get to evaluate your dog on one day. You know your dogs, and um, it's always it's fun for me. I'm so appreciative of all the handlers that come out and, and put themselves out there. Um, it makes makes it a lot of fun to be a judge to to see all the different dogs and to be able to see what they're capable of. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, though, about, you know, your notes, the way you're keeping them, because obviously when you're apprentice, it is a little bit different because they're they're looking at what you're writing and stuff. But also, too, like you said, you're trying to keep it similar. Just like what if a handler had a question? You obviously they're not going to see that that back of that scorecard, but you see a lot of dogs in a weekend. So if they have a question, it's easier to, okay, let me look at this real quick and make sure I'm giving them the most thorough answer and the, and the accurate picture of their dog, you know, cause in the moment, sometimes you're like, well, I didn't say that, or I didn't do that, or the dog didn't do that. But in reactuality, it probably, <laughs> you know, you have the three judges right. <laughs> and possibly apprentices out there, you know, watching too. So it's, it's nice to have those to, to look back in case there was ever a question or issue that, that someone had. Absolutely. So. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, Uh, whenever I'm talking to handlers that, um, you know, at training days and things like that, that are getting ready for a test and the judges always reiterate it right before you're reading scores. But let's be honest, I don't know that anybody's listening to that right before their scores are being read. They're just nervous to find out what, (laughs) what score their dog got. Right. But I mean, really ask, ask questions. I learned a lot from asking questions, but I also remember in my first handful of tests not wanting to ask questions, not even maybe feeling like I knew what questions to ask. And I think judges really like to be able to give that feedback. I don't ever want someone to walk away from a test and have a question in their mind or or like you said, I didn't say that. I don't think I did that. I didn't give that command. I don't think my dog did that. I, we don't want people to walk away with that perspective. We want to talk about it and to help you because you can learn a lot from, you know, what happened in one test and, and apply that in your next test and maybe have a better outcome. So if I had a suggestion for anybody handling a dog, come come up to us and talk to us as a judging team and, and ask those questions. Or even if the question is just, what could I have done better? What did you see that was, you know, something that you might handle differently where we definitely... I mean, we love dogs, right? We wouldn't be nabbed the judges and spend our weekends running around evaluating dogs if we didn't love dogs and love talking dogs, so. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people get so hung up, and I know I'm guilty of it. We all are with the scores and everything. I got to have a prize one. I got to have this. And I know we, me and you, had talked about this um, before we got on here about, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, like, as long as you have a good experience and stuff and and ultimately, some dogs, you know, like you said, you're forever prized too, and, and you have that in your head. But I think it's, I think it's important for owners to kind of know that and, and be able to, um, like you said, come up and ask questions so they can do better the next time. Um, I think for me, yeah. you know, after natural ability, when I started doing the utility, um, you know, when we did our tests and stuff the first one maybe didn't ask questions and then the next two I did. And, and even when we got a prize one, it wasn't perfect, but we got all the numbers in the right spots and still had questions. And then at the invitational asking questions, even though I knew <laughs> what had happened that day and, you know, but just to know it's okay to ask, I think that's important for people to do. Um, I don't think enough people do because they just get hung up on that score and they're embarrassed. Maybe they don't want to ask because of that. But I think the people that do ask get value out of it and, and, you know, they have that constructive criticism and feedback so that they can do better. The people that don't just get ticked off and, and, you know, leave or even leave. I've seen people leave before tests are over because they, they knew. And it's like, well, you don't even realize what your score was. Maybe you did better than you thought and then they just leave. And I, I hate that because it's, it's like disheartening because you want them, you want the dogs to do good. And like I said, it's just, I hate to see that. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's an important point. Absolutely. I think, yeah, like you and I had talked about, right. Uh, the, the chasing that prize one and having a dog, that's a prize two dog and, and trying to come to grips with that. And I think, uh, you know, 
I have been humbled by my dog, Hazel, and it it wasn't an easy decision to say, hey, I'm going to stop running her in tests, but uh, it was the right decision for us, and she's she's happy, and she hunts her little butt off, and she's an amazing dog, and I think that that's, you know, like we talked about too, it's just... I tell people at training days when I'm, when I'm helping them out and, you know, we're going through running utility or even transitioning from NA to utility. They're like, I don't know if I you know, want to go through utility. I'm like, train towards it. You don't ever have to run a utility test if you don't want to. You probably will once you put all the work into it. Right. right. <laughs> um, but I think like you have one heck of a bird dog and any dog that is a, a utility prize dog, whether it's a prize three or a prize one or a prize two, right? Like that's a dog that you should be super proud to let out of the let out of the box, right? That dog's gonna hit the tailgate and be more well behaved and have so many more tools in its toolkit and hunt in just a different way uh, than I think you know a lot of other dogs that aren't at that level. And I think even you know training towards it, even if you never run a test, it's still it's beneficial for you and your relationship with your dog. Yeah, I, that sounds so familiar because we tell so many of our puppy owners in our contract, okay, yes, you have to do the NA test. We require that. But a lot of them will be like, oh, testing, you know, I just want I just want to hunt with this dog. And then, you know, a year and a half, two years, whatever age, they decide you're, they're right there doing the utility test. So, um, and that's not with every single puppy owner, but a lot of them end up, like you said, you're doing the work already. You might as well get evaluated for it. Um, and you're going to have a heck of a, of a dog, you know, one of the top dogs in, in this country and between here and Canada and, um, just train, at least we always say that just train to the test level and you're going to have a phenomenal hunting partner. Um, we say it like, it's so funny that you said that because we say it all the time, you know, people are like, what do you require when you buy a puppy? And it's X, Y, and Z. And they always, the first thing out of their mouth, well, I don't like testing. I don't want to do it. But then, you know, I'd say probably half to maybe a quarter of them will do it. So it's, it's really cool. And like at the end of the day, I'm a big proponent of it. It, it is hard in the moment, but it, the score, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter for certain things, of course, but at the end of the day, not really. Cause you still, even if you prize a utility dog, you still have amazing dog. And I think people just need to remember that so I always say it on the podcast because I want people to still think that they're doing good even though they may have not gotten the score that they wanted so I think it's absolutely so absolutely no and it took me you know five and a half years and a second dog to get a prize one and honestly I I'm grateful that I have the prize one with him and that we're going to the invitational but it it's not a gauge for me on the kind of hunting dog that he is. It's more of like an excitement for me because I love Navda so much and I'm excited to play a new game. <laughs> but, you know, he... Do something new, yeah. <laughs> so with that, um, where are you guys at in training for the Invitational? I, it's it's getting close now. Um, we're, you know, what are we out? A couple months out. Um not that anybody's counting or anything, but where are you guys at with your training? <laughs> um, you know, have you hit any hurdles? Um, and what what day are you running on? Yeah, so I'm running on Friday, so the second to last day of the Invitational. So, um, you know, logistically, I'm, I'm definitely grateful that I live in Nebraska and he's I can kind of maybe leave him at home for the first few days because I'm going to be going down there to volunteer most of the week, um, going down that Saturday before and kind of helping out because I know it's it, we need lots of volunteers and I, I love the Invitational, so I, I want to make sure that I can help everybody else get, get their dogs run through. Um, but I'm going to be leaving him at, him at home with Dad for the first few days so he doesn't get <laughs> too antsy in his box, but... Um, yeah, uh, so I would say, you know, right now I, I was actually just in Wisconsin. So my mentor, Gary Ingebrigtsen, who he has been a griff breeder for quite some time. He owns Firebird Kennels. Um, he is the one who's been kind of my go-to to help me out with this. He's, he's run at the Invitational quite a few times. He's got three VCs in his kennel right now. And honestly, he's, he's the reason why I have a prize one. Um, he's the reason why I'm, I'm going to the Invitational. 
Invitational, all those things. So I'm I'm grateful for him, but it, it means that I'm spending a lot of time driving in the car eight hours to, to head to his house to, to train. So that's been a little bit of an interesting, um, you know, time this summer. Like I said, I've got a I've got a great husband who has a lot of patience and and lets me kind of run with my hobbies, so to speak, whether it's hunting or this <laughs> NAVDA stuff. He knows how important it is to me. So um, I'm gone pretty much every weekend. I don't think that I have a weekend at home to spend with him until after the invitational is done. And I've been I've been rolling since April uh, doing that. So lots of miles on the car. But, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of um field work. He, he looks pretty good there, you know, as far as I'm, I mean, he's not perfect and we got things to do, but I'm thankful that I have a griff that likes to back nat pretty naturally. He, he's always kind of been that way. So just making sure we keep it fun for him in the field. Um, and he's a fish. He loves the water. So he's, he's been, he's a crazy, crazy for ducks dog. And so, um, my biggest concern I'd say with the blind is getting him across where I want him to go versus where he thinks he wants to go, which is probably searching in the cattails or whatever. So, um, but, but I, you know, he likes to go, so that's not a bad pro. I don't have a dog that likes to sit at the bank. I have a dog that, you know, I got to work to get down there before he takes off on his own. Um, and you know, we, we kind of just started working on the double mark and I actually, um, Took a little bit of a break from agreeing to go to my husband's uh, aunt's cabin this past weekend, which conveniently for me was only about 30 minutes from where Gary was. So I got to sneak over to his house this weekend and, and do a little training while everybody was eating breakfast at the house and work on his uh, double mark just just to kind of ease my uh, anxiety about it a little bit. But yeah, so it's coming along. We still have work to do and I'm trying really, really hard not to overtrain because that that's one of my, uh, I guess, um, one of the negatives that I, as a trainer, have to kind of remind myself of, I, I definitely am guilty of overtraining sometimes. And especially like we were talking about with that griff, that just, it doesn't work. It, it's not yep. going to work for me. So trying to be mindful of that. But It doesn't. And some people are like, oh, I don't believe in the overtraining thing and the dogs peak at this time and, and all that. And it's like, but yeah, you really can overtrain and you'll see some crazy things and bad habits coming out I know when we've trained for the invitational before and trained client dogs it's interesting what dogs will do and people need to remember they are animals they are not robots that's a big thing and you can't you cannot overdo something because you know with every dog they're gonna get bored and and they're gonna start to negative behaviors are going to start to come out. So I think that's important to know and, and knowing yourself that that's something that you, you do. So to be cautious of it, I think is important. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, we wish you good luck at that test. Um, I know you're going to do great. Um, and just standing up when you do the opening ceremonies, I think one of the best feelings ever, no matter what the outcome is, you're up there, whether or not you're with your dog, but you're with the other handlers. And it's just such a really cool moment that, um, to just take it all in and no matter the outcome. So I'm wishing you good luck, but let's kind of end on, um, if you have any kind of like words of wisdom to maybe some new newbies like coming up into the world whether it's hunting or nafta if you just have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share yeah i mean i think when i think about when i first started and even trying to get into hunting and you know not knowing what i was doing i maybe didn't necessarily do a great job of um leaning in on some of you know the relationships that i had and and talking to people and asking for help, um, and especially when it came to hunting, right? Um, and I think that that's really, really, really important is just use your resources, right? Use the connections that you have because I have not run into a fellow NAVDA member or a fellow upland hunter that, you know, has tried to run me out of uh, upland hunting, right? They always want to help. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to give you their hotspot and tell you exactly where to go hunting, but um, (laughs) 
more people than you would think are definitely willing to take you out hunting. I mean, last year I had the opportunity to take a couple of ladies out. Um, one of my good friends, she's got a small Munsterlander and is like me, not from a background of hunting. And, you know, she's getting her dog out and I'm, I'm always willing to stick my neck out and help people. But you got to ask, right? Some of that is, is you got to ask for that help and to ask for that support. And I, I mean, I'm sure it's coming across in our conversation and even when you and I talked, I'm a huge, huge proponent of NAVDA, not just because, you know, of the testing system and not just because, you know, it's a great way for you to get involved in something that will really help your dog be a better dog. But I think it's just a really great social network as well. And everybody is there to help everybody out. It's the best place um, for, I think, novice dog owners and novice hunters to really get involved with. And there's a lot of ways for you to get involved in the organization, even if you feel like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And then, you know, your relationships will grow from there and you'll you'll get connected with more and more people again. And if you put the work in and kind of show an eagerness or a desire, people will help you out. But I would just say, like, find a mentor, ask for help, ask questions, because I don't know, you know, when I'm at training days, I don't know what you want out of your bird dog, and I don't know what you want out of your experience unless you communicate it to me. I can only, you know, guess so much as, okay, you brought a dog, you probably want him to see a bird, but what is your <laughs> end game? You know, that's what I, I need to know from, from you, and so telling people to just really we don't bite, right? You know that. Yep, I mean, yep. in your chapter too, it's the same way, right? We're there because yep. we love dogs. We love chatting dogs and come, come talk to us. And, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me or if anyone's in the area and wants to get hooked up for hunting and if you guys come out this way, let me know. Um, you know, I can't promise birds and I can't promise a ton of private land, but you know, I go out hunting with the dogs quite a bit and I'm always love company. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. Like the asking questions, you, you can't read their mind. So a lot of times we'll tell like puppy owners too, like you got to have goals in mind. What, when we take dogs in for training, the first question that I'm asking on the phone, well, what are your goals for the dog? And like the most typical response I hear is, oh, I just want a good bird dog. Well, okay, what does that mean? Do you want him steady to, mm-hmm. you know, wing shot fall everything? Um, do you want him steady to shot? Like, are you going to duck hunt? Are you going to bird? What are you going to do with this dog? And I think that'll help guide and answer the people. But also with that, like you mentioned about NAVDO being social and everything, you know, we could call people in Maine. We have puppies that have been um, you know, are in Maine and we, okay, let's reach out to these local people and get these guys involved. Like a lot of people are like, why are you even, what are you, what's your, what's the benefit of NAVDA to you as a kennel? And it's like right there, I can call up. I don't know how many people in different States. Hey, we're going hunting here. You want to meet up stuff like that? Or, Hey, I got this puppy owner and he has no clue what he's doing. Can you please help? Um, those kind of things. And it's important as, a breeder and not only a breeder, but just a person that, you know, maybe just wants to go hunting. It's, it's a cool way to do that. And you're going to find someone that you click with. You may not click with everybody in the chapter and that's fine, but you're going to find somebody that you can get along with and train with. Like a lot of people train together in small groups when they're not at training day. So I think that's really good piece of advice and wisdom. Um, so I want to thank you so much for coming on here and sharing about your dogs and your experiences. And like I said, I want to wish you good luck to the invita- at the Invitational. And um, I hope I'm trying to figure out a way to do this with the ladies that are going. I'm not sure quite how. So, Nick, this is your homework. You've got to work on a way for me to get more than three people on this podcast so I can do like a round robin with like their experiences of what they learned and. Um, what could have went better, what could have went, or what went well. So I really want to do that with, with the ladies that are going from, from my chapter and the ones that I've met through NAVDA. Um, so I think it would be really cool. But Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. Um, I hope you have a great evening. Thank you yeah. so much, Desiree. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I love chatting dogs. So I, I'm very grateful for the conversation. And, and it was definitely a good time. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.